What's up, homies? I'm Chris Tejas, and this is the Pure Ascent Podcast. What's up, homies? Hey, hi, hello. Nice to be with you again. Uh, I am doing my very best to keep this consistent while making it a joyful experience for myself. And so if that means that these aren't coming out as consistently as maybe some of the other, I'm sure, very wonderful professional podcasts you listen to, I apologize for that. But for me, it, uh, it has to be a bit of a labor of love. And I want to make sure that I still love that labor. And the best way to do that is to take it slowly and make it not that laborious. Anyways, today I want to talk about worms on the sidewalk, souls hanging out, and the art of the DNF. I also actually want to shout out to uh, Rob Bell and the Robcast for giving me the inspiration of how to title all of my podcasts. Rob has this really beautiful way of connecting all these things that don't seem connected and, uh, and, and spinning this sort of story for you. And you see the title and you think, I don't understand how he's going to combine the book of Leviticus with LeBron James socks but he does and it's cool and it's pretty it's pretty beautiful the way he can do that Uh, I don't know that I'm quite at that level but I do enjoy the idea of the strange non sequitur titles that that you've been seeing so that's probably going to stick around at least for a little while until I figure out something else that intrigues me so what do we want to talk about today Firstly, I think this is going to be a slow-moving podcast, so for those of you like Priscilla, who like to have this on 1.5 speed, that might be a great idea for this episode for you, but also, I think I want to take things intentionally slow. I think I want to give us the opportunity to slow down a little bit in this, and so I would say resist the urge to speed up my voice. I won't talk that slow. That's crazy. I will keep things moving at a pace. But one thing I've noticed that's really interesting is the fact that as Canada, at least, you know, Ontario, where I am, starts to loosen the reins a little bit when it comes to this whole pandemic, and we start to get back to some semblance of what things were before, people's lives are starting to speed up, and people are getting busier and busier. And I am the the same way. I'm finding myself pretty busy all of a sudden. And I think going from having very little to do to having, you know, maybe a normal amount to do feels like a lot. And so I want to take an opportunity for myself to kind of slow down and work through some of these ideas that I've been having. And, you know, I run a lot. I run a lot of hours in a week, so I actually get that chance. And there's so many little things that occur to me on my run, and I think, oh man, I really want to explore that. I want to talk about that. I think that's a great subject for the podcast. And then I get home, and I forget them. So today is a few things that I thought about on my run that I was able to remember. And one thing that I thought of a while ago that just kind of came back to me. And, And I'm excited to be able to explore that. And one of the things that I was thinking about today was perspective. Trying to understand our own perspective, where we are now, where we were before, and creating a certain level of acceptance around that. Because with everything that's going on with this pandemic, with everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, and being in the middle of a civil rights movement, 
it's really easy to look back on a lot of experiences we've had and feel very guilty, feel very bad about what we've done, feel as though we are very responsible for a lot of, you know, the pain and suffering that we're seeing around us. And I'm not here to say that that's not true. I'm not here to say that people shouldn't feel anything like that. However, I do think we need to allow ourselves to accept that our perspective shifts and changes over time. And who you are now is not who you were at another time. And we need to allow others to be in that place as well, because if we don't, then I don't know that we're going to get very far in all of this. But that's tricky. And and it's difficult. It's, a, it's hard to look back. You know, it's there's so many, like, for lack of a better term, sort of cringeworthy moments that you have in your life that you look back on and you're embarrassed by. You know, whether it's something like, oh, I said something stupid at a party or I, you know, I kind of put my foot in my mouth about this subject or that subject. And those things suck. They make you feel kind of shake inside. You know, they, they make you, you have to close your eyes and reset. They make you want to shout sometimes. Do you ever get that where like you imagine a particularly uncomfortable moment that you had? And okay, so there was this one time I was, oh, this is so bad just to think about. I was at... Uh, I was at my work, and I saw somebody who I hadn't seen in a while, and we were excited to see each other, and we went to give this hug, and it was like this awkward, weird hug where like we kind of both went the same way and kind of like got really close to each other in a way we weren't expecting, and and it was oh the feeling of it was just weird, and I think it was compounded by the fact that we'd never really hugged before. This is our first time, me and this guy like hugging and embracing. And we did it so wrong. <laughs> we did it so bad. And oh, so when I think of that moment, there was a while, you know, years after that, where I literally just wanted to like yell when I thought of that moment because it just, oh, I needed to get it out. And we have those moments, right? We have those moments we look back on that are embarrassing. And then we have moments we look back on and they're super problematic. And those, those are the more concerning ones. Those are a lot of what we're talking about when it comes to uh, the movement that we're seeing around us right now and taking responsibility you know, for the instances in the past where maybe we haven't acted appropriately, maybe where we've used language of aggression where we didn't understand that we were, places where we've, we've, we've created oppression without knowing it. And those... Uh, those are really hard. Those are really hard to think about. They make you feel really guilty. Sometimes they make you feel a strange sense of self-righteousness, maybe. You know, maybe you go back on those and you think to yourself, like, well, you know, like, I didn't know that's not what I meant. And you get kind of defensive and and you feel you feel frustrated because somewhere in you, you know that you fucked up and you probably want to take it back, but you, you really can't. You can apologize maybe if you if it's a specific instance and you know that person or whatever, but overall, you're just kind of left feeling kind of gross. And you wonder, how how is it that I didn't like see that then? It's like walking down the street and it's just rained. And you're walking down the sidewalk, it's that fresh, you know, smell of like that kind of tinny uh, smell, that metallic smell that you get on the sidewalk just after it rains and it's beautiful. 
and you're walking down the street and everything feels so fresh and good and you feel happy to be walking and you're walking and maybe 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes pass and eventually you look down you know at one moment and you see you're just about to step on a worm and you stop and your foot's hovering over it and you see the worm and you think oh man I almost stepped on that worm I I can't believe I almost stepped on that worm so glad I saw it and then you step around it and you kind of look up ahead on the sidewalk all of a sudden you're you're kind of noticing worms and you see you see all these worms on the sidewalk you know I'm sure you've seen this before after it rains there's all these worms and all of a sudden you're sort of playing like hopscotch around these worms you know and so you're looking ahead you've just saved this one this one worm and you look ahead and you see all these other worms and you think man I'm this is so so lucky that I saw this worm I'm so glad I saw this worm before I stepped on it and then I was able to look up and see all those other worms so I don't have to you know step on any worms you know, and you think, oh, it's so funny that, like, I happened to just look down when there was this worm. And then you look behind you, and you look at the sidewalk, and there's, like, 50 crushed worms behind you <laughs> because you didn't see them. You weren't looking for them, and you stepped on them. You stepped right on those worms as you were walking by. And it wasn't until you got to that one where it was like, hey, wait a minute. I'm about to step on a worm. I shouldn't step on this worm. And your whole perspective changed. Everything changed. And you look back and you feel guilty because you see all these worms, all these crushed worms on the sidewalk, uh, you know, and you think to yourself, like, man, I can't believe I just stepped on all those worms. Why wasn't I looking? I know that when it rains, worms come out. It's been that way my whole life. Why wasn't I thinking about that? Why wasn't I aware? If I knew that there's such a thing as worms coming out after the rain, when I go out for a walk after the rain, why the fuck wasn't I looking for those worms? Huh. I don't know why. I don't know why I wasn't looking, but, but it wasn't. I knew the worms would be there. I knew that this was a situation. I knew that me just walking out the door put those lives at risk. But I didn't really think about it. And then one day, you know, one walk, I woke up, and I saw it, and I course corrected. And from then on, for the rest of that walk, I was hopscotching around those worms. Now, the real tricky part in all this is figuring out how to remember next time before you walk out the door. How do you not fall asleep again, you know? And when we're looking at this civil rights movement that we're in right now, you know, I've known my whole life that the BIPOC population is treated poorly. I know that their lives have been at risk my entire life. And yet I choose to walk out the door every day as though that's not the case. And I choose to live my personal life as though that's not an issue that I have to worry about. Until that one moment, right? Until that one moment where just like a 
the foot almost stepping down on the worm, I realize somebody has been putting this kind of pressure, putting this kind of danger onto the lives of these people around me forever. Not just somebody, an entire system. How do you deal with that? Well, you do your best to move forward and, and not make those missteps anymore. You start telling people, hey, when you go outside and it's raining, make sure you're careful where you step. And in this scenario, it's always fucking raining. So we better be watching what we're doing. Anyways, perspective. It's all perspective. It's, it's worms on the street. And when I look back at all those rainy days when I wasn't paying attention, I feel guilty. I do. I feel frustrated that I wasn't more aware, that I wasn't more vocal, that I wasn't more, that, that I didn't choose to let that be an important part of my narrative. But I also appreciate now this new perspective I've been given. And, you know, I was having a talk with a friend uh, recently, and we were talking about everything happening right now. And the one thing I sort of said was, I feel like my role right now is to shut up and sit back and wait for instruction and provide some kind of, provide some kind of service where I can to help move things forward. And that's something that actually we, we kind of collaborated on and figured out a way that I could do, and I'm really excited about that. And the question of why I didn't do it sooner, why that wasn't a, uh, an important part of my, my story before this, I don't have a good answer for. All I know is that my perspective has been changed and that uh, I have woken up. And, you know, uh, waking up, there's this idea of, of waking up used a lot in this kind of conversation. And it always makes me think of something that Ram Dass said. So... Ramdas speaks about this idea of awakening. The you know, and he's talking specifically about like sort of a spiritual awakening. And he describes waking up as something that you know, once you've woken up, you can never fall back asleep. You might be able to hit the snooze button for a little while, but eventually that alarm's going to go off again and you're going to wake back up. You're going to remember you're going to remember this thing, this idea, this, this tugging at your heart. You're going to remember that. And so even though it feels already like so many of us have fallen back asleep since everything happened with the protests, I, I do believe that it's impossible for those people to fall completely back into a slumber, myself included. And... All we're really able to do is hit that snooze button a few more times, and, and eventually we're just going to have to get up, start our day, and do the work, and figure out what work we have to do. And just like Ram Dass describing the spiritual path as one where once you're awake, you never fall back asleep. You never fall further back. You're exactly where you're meant to be, and you can't, you can't go back. And I think we all who are on that spiritual path we all can attest to that, you know? There's times where I feel like I fall asleep, whether it's me falling off from my meditation, whether it's me getting trapped in the very 
physical world, you know, and the attachment and, you know, uh, consumption of our current world, or it's me not giving space, holding space and being there for my fellow, my fellow person. Insofar as I have woken up uh, in the past, I know that I, I am still there. And I haven't fallen backwards, I have just maybe taken a snooze. And when I wake up, I know I'll be in that same place. And I know I'll be just as capable of giving that space, holding that space, giving that love, all of those things. And the reason I know that is because I have been asleep many times at the wheel of this spiritual journey over the past many years. And, you know, it always goes back to, it always goes back to this one experience I had for me. This was maybe three, maybe three or four years ago now. I had the opportunity to have a Skype call with Ramdas. So if you don't know who Ramdas is, he's this old Jewish man that everybody seems to love. Back in the 60s, his name was Richard Alpert, and he was on the faculty at Harvard, and he was a psychotherapist, and he was a professor of psychotherapy, and he had this interesting experience using psychedelics, using mushrooms. And after that, he and Timothy Leary started a project, an experiment at Harvard, where they were looking at the use of psychedelics and consciousness and spirituality. That didn't go super well when it came to the higher-ups at Harvard. They ended up getting fired. He went away to India, and he met his guru. After meeting his guru, he proceeded to write books and give talks and lectures and become this beautiful soul and spirit who's funny, witty, charming, deeply, deeply loving, and very present. He left his body last December, probably a good thing given everything that's happened this past six or eight months. But before that happened, a few years ago, I had this chance to sit down with him, this, uh, I forget what they called it, I think this, uh, a soul-to-soul Skype session. It was such a funny experience because I remember driving home from the airport and freaking out that I was going to be late for my soul-to-soul session with Ramdas, and it was so funny to think of being so hung up on this idea of of needing to to sit with him. And it was something that I had scheduled, I think, two years before that, and my life had changed drastically, you know, since since I had scheduled it. And to be honest, at that time. I was kind of asleep a little bit when it came to my spiritual practice. By the time that I was there, uh, you know, sitting down at my computer, having just barely made it home from the airport, I, I hadn't meditated in months. I had barely been reading spiritual texts. I hadn't been living a life of service in the way that I had at the time of setting up this Skype session. And I felt... A little bit guilty about that at the beginning because I felt like I hadn't earned the right to have this time with Ramdas. I felt like I hadn't put in enough work for myself to, to be taking up his precious time. You know, he's 90, 
91 or 92 at that point. And I felt like I wasn't good enough to be there. It's so interesting to look at that now with this perspective I have and think to myself that not only is that the entire reason I needed to be sitting with him at that time, but if I was in this really deep spiritual space, would I have taken any lessons from that time? You know, one of the first things he said to me, he asked me, what is my sadhana, like my, my spiritual practice? What do I do? And I wouldn't say I lied to him, but I certainly obfuscated the truth a little bit. I think I said, you know, I, I, I try to meditate and I don't really have a close spiritual community around me. And I, you know, I, I try to read lots of books. And I think I, I made it sound like I was putting in more effort than I was. And I was nervous. I was looking at this man who had cracked my heart open, my soul open. I had never felt uh, the kinds of spiritual growth that I felt when when reading what he was saying and, and, and listening to his lectures. I'd never felt that before. He, he was a hero. He was, I don't think he loves this term, but he was my guru. And I felt like I had just totally failed. And so I didn't know what to say. And I kind of just tried to distract from the question a little bit. And, you know, what's funny about Ramdas is now, or at least then, he, he spoke very slowly. In, in the 90s, he had a stroke, and it took away his ability to speak over time. Um, he, he could still speak, but it was very slow, very intentional, limited words. And so very slowly he asked me, you know, what, what is your sadhana? And I gave him my answer. And he looked at me and he waited a moment. I thought maybe he was waiting a minute because he was thinking of the word he wanted to say. A lot of times with people who have experienced strokes, it's difficult for them to find words. But he waited. And he just looked at me through the computer with his beautiful eyes just staring into mine. And he smiled and he said, Chris, I love you. And I started crying. I, I, was, <laughs> I was weeping. Weeping and sniffling and all red in the face from this thing he had just said to me. I, I hit him with, this bullshit, this guy who's my guru, who mean, who meant everything to me. I hit him with, with just, you know, this superficial, again, I don't know how to call it a lie, but I don't know what else to call it. I hit him with that. And all he did was smile and told me that he loved me. What the fuck is that? How do you deal with that? I didn't know what to do. I, I, I mean, my body knew what to do. My spirit knew what to do. I, I broke down. I started crying. I told him I loved him back. Which, by the way, stepping away from the story for a minute, you see like a 20, you know, 26, 27-year-old man sitting in his office, Skyping with an old Jewish man who he's never met, and he's crying and he's telling him he loves him. It's a weird scene. It is a weird scene. But... 
there was just so much love and acceptance at that moment that everything felt okay. I knew I knew I could continue on the path that I was on and I knew I was exactly where I was meant to be at that moment. I knew that I was exactly where I had left off because I I saw this this soul, this soul hanging out with me, just looking at me, telling me he loved me, meaning it. This man who had never met me before, who had no reason, no gain. I hadn't paid for this session. It wasn't being put up on Instagram. It was just a moment between, between these souls. It was just a moment. And we meditated together. And we, we closed our eyes, and in his raspy, older voice, he just started chanting, you know? Ram, 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 Sita Ram, Sita Ram. And just chanting. And we just sat there with our eyes closed, meditating. Him in Hawaii, me in Waterloo, Ontario, meditating for like half an hour I was simultaneously deep in meditation while observing this meditation and being kind of blown away by it all imagine being able to Skype with your guru that's a, that's a weird thing to say it was a weird experience and it was so beautiful and and I think what he did there that was really really fucking tricky and sneaky of him was he hit me with a left when I was expecting the right. I was expecting him to scold me and tell me I need to work on my practice. And I was expecting a certain level of fierceness. And what I got was just this ocean of love pouring out of him. He knew at that moment that what I needed was that ocean of love. I needed that acceptance. I needed needed him to meet me there. Because where where we were able to meet after that was at the soul level. We were able to relinquish this student teacher moment where I felt like I had let him down and we were able to meet in this just loving awareness. And what that's done for me in my work with people and in in my interactions with people is it's shown me that I have the opportunity and the ability and the responsibility to to meet people at the level where they can work with me. I can't go on a Skype session and just tell somebody that I've never met before that I love them if they're not there and ready to hear that. And it's pretty rare someone is there and ready to hear that. And as a practitioner, it's really frowned upon that I just start telling my clients that I love them. So I don't really do it. But I think what it shows is that we can choose to meet at different levels. And if we're open and we're aware enough as to what level someone is at when we're meeting them, we have the opportunity for further awakening. You know, it's like you look in someone's eyes for a minute and you say like, I'm here, I'm here right now. Are you here right now? And this doesn't have to just be in like a a client practitioner, patient kind of, uh, you know, back and forth. 
This can be in all of our relationships. This can be in our friendships, in our romantic relationships, in our customer service relationships. Hell, I've worked in customer service my entire life, and it's super hard. It is very difficult because we're dealing with people's emotions all day long. People walk in, they dump their emotions on you, and they walk out. And that is not something that you're really taught how to deal with in your typical, like, first day of training. However, if we can look at that as our opportunity to do our work, you know, if, if our customer service job can all of a sudden be our path to awakening, our path to enlightenment, then we have an opportunity to treat every single interaction with somebody as a moment for further awakening. Now, that's like impossible <laughs> to do sometimes. There's many days that we'll all have where all we want to do is get through it. And I get that, especially right now. Everything is very strange. But I think we might be in a place right now, too, where people are potentially receptive to that. Everything's so fucked up. Everything is so strange right now. Everything's so weird that, what the hell? Why not? Why not take a moment to be real with people? What's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? Where, where else can we go from here but deeper? Like... I don't know. It's just, it seems to me like this is a beautiful opportunity for us to to go deeper, to go more real, to be more honest with people, to meet them at whatever level they, they're at, and then open up the door <laughs> to move into a new level. And it's not going to work a lot of the time. Probably, I would say, we... As the person attempting it are going to fail most times. The people that we are trying to attempt it with are going to fail a lot of the times. It can be discouraging to have that kind of failure on our hands. And I think that's largely because we're just not very comfortable with failure. You know, I talk about failure a lot. I'm always talking about failure. I think I've brought it up in every podcast. The reason I talk about failure so much is because, as most people know... Failure is where we grow. You know, look at look at weightlifting. When you push yourself as close to failure, even to failure, on any given working set, the muscle has to repair and build itself stronger. Look at taking a test. You know, if you if you fail a test, there's a way better chance that the next time you're gonna study a lot more, you're gonna grow and you're gonna learn. I think of failure a lot because it happens to me fairly regularly. I failed monumentally the past you know, the past couple of years when it comes to, to business and partnerships and, and experiences like that in one sense and, and through that failure was so much growth. Um, but I also just, you know, I fail fairly regularly when I'm running. You know, I, like right now, training for me has been like such a fun outlet and running in particular is something that I am just good enough at to keep progressing and keep getting better and be at a high enough level that I can justify continuing that push, but I am constantly failing to meet the expectations I have for myself and the, uh, you know, the levels that I'm hoping to hit. The amount of runs I've had to do where I get a total like personal DNF, you know, did not finish, are, are stacking up over time. You know, just last weekend, I had planned to do a 30K run 
and I had to stop at 24. And the reason behind that is because I was doing a trail run and I got super lost. I was doing these like 5K loops around my car because I didn't have, I didn't want to take gear with me. I was trying to attempt this kind of new thing where I would like store all my gear in my car and then every 5K I would hit the car, I would rehydrate, I might have like a little bit to eat or something like that and then I would keep going. So I did, you know, I did this sort of 10K farm roller warm up and then I go into the trail and I hit 5K and I, uh, and I get back to the car and I start rehydrating. So I'm at 15 K now. And then I, I go back out and it was so hot and so humid, but I'd been hydrating well and I felt super good. I had lots of electrolytes in me. I had some food in me. I go out for my next, you know, kind of push and I get to about 18, 19 kilometers. So I'm about one and a half to two K out from the end of my loop. And I realized that I had taken a wrong, a wrong turn. I was like, okay, well, no big deal. I can just circle back. I start to circle back and I start circling back and circling back and getting round and round and round and ending up further and further out. All of a sudden I'm in the middle of a field, like this farm field. I'm getting attacked by a bunch of mosquitoes. My, you know, I'm soaking wet with sweat. I am like dirty. I'm all cut up. And uh, I was at like 21K and I was like, I don't know where I am. And I ended up having to backtrack again and again and again until eventually I was so worn out. I hadn't had any water in, you know, like an hour and a half um, because this was a pretty technical, tricky uh, area. And I kept having to walk and circle back. It took a while to get these kilometers in. So finally, you know, I like I figure out that I'm back on the trail and I start running towards the car and I realized I was on the other side of the trail than I thought I was. So I was actually running further away from the trail. And at that point I was so tired and I was just like frustrated mentally. And I was super thirsty and hot and, and dehydrated and hungry. And I could feel myself bonking. I could feel myself getting to a point where like I was going a little hypoglycemic. I was, um, I was just getting really frustrated and I started to get these aches. I always know when I'm starting to get low on electrolytes because I feel a couple aches in, in places I wouldn't normally, you know, I feel some in my neck and some in my shoulder and my, my upper back, which is not normal for me. And that usually only happens when, uh, I've lost a lot of minerals, a lot of salt. And, uh, and that was definitely the case. Eventually, I actually think it got close to around 26 K. I got back to the car and I just had to, I had to call it cause I was just I was too deep in the red and I knew pulling myself out was going to take a little bit more than I, than I had <laughs> in terms of time and in terms of energy. So I had to call that a DNF, you know, and it was a training run and it was meant to be difficult, but it was meant to be difficult for the sake of, of the terrain, not for the sake of messing up on my hydration and nutrition and getting lost and all those things. And that failure... I'm still trying to figure out what to take from that particular failure, you know, like other than figure out where you're running and maybe always have a little bit of nutrition with you. I think that's the takeaway is making sure that no matter what, if I'm running in high heat and I'm going in an area where I think I could get lost, just make sure you, you know, either have a, you know, have your phone with you so you can find your way back or like some kind of GPS device, 
have a gel, you know, I don't like using gels, but have some kind of energy, maybe have some water with you. Like these are just a few like takeaways from that failure. And not only does failure give you the opportunity to get better next time, but I think it also gives you the opportunity to sit in discomfort, to sit in pain and frustration and allow that to be your work. You know, we often shy away from discomfort. We have an aversion to discomfort, which fair enough, we, we should. Our physical self doesn't like being in pain. And that's fair enough. I, I don't think the physical body should be okay with pain. But pain and frustration and these difficulties and these failures can, can provide you an opportunity to be in discomfort and sit in that discomfort and be okay with that discomfort. You know, you hear, you hear these stories of people, people at the end of their life going through so much pain and, and, and dealing with these horrible diseases and the equanimity that so many of them have when they're nearing that very end is just so beautiful and so, it's so enlightening. You know, it, it's, you see that and, and you see that they're simultaneously in pain in their physical body and at peace in their spiritual body. And I think when we fail, it gives us an opportunity to sit in discomfort and accept that discomfort in that, you know, in a, a sliver of that same way that we could hope to be when we are reaching our ends. But I don't think people really value that enough and I think I certainly think people don't respect it you know I, I think when you talk about your failures and this is shifting a bit when you talk about your failures often people are you know immediately ready to tell you why they weren't failures or they're immediately ready to tell you why that makes you a failure and I think we need to decouple those things and we need, we need to be able to bifurcate a little bit and say that I am not my failures but my failures inform who I am being able to have a DNF like I did this weekend, being able to DNF and and move forward from that. I've had an incredible training week since then. I've been hitting PRs. I have been feeling so good. And I don't think that would have happened as easily if I just had a cruiser of a weekend. You know, I think if my weekend was super easy in the sense that like everything went according to plan, would I have had such a great training week? I don't know. Maybe. That would, you know, it's nice to think that you can have both. And I think you can. But every once in a while, that little failure is a reminder that you still have work to do. And that that work that, that, work that you have to do can serve to enlighten, to awaken you, you know, more fully than you think. And then once you've done that work, you know, like once you've started to do that work and you're on that path, you might... You might be able to fall asleep, but you're just going to wake back up and you're going to be where you were because you you have put the work in. And sure, something like running or something like that where physically, you know, you have to keep it up. Yes, you, you can fall behind, but you don't forget the lessons you've learned. And your perspective is just completely different at that point. You know, you you move forward with the perspective of all of those DNFs, all of those failures, you know, you move forward more conscientious and aware because you get to look back and you can look back and say, well, what happened when I did this? What happened when I did that? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to step on these worms. 
because I've done that already. So thank you. Thank you to that wonderful experience I had with Ramdas. Thank you to that awful DNF from this past weekend. And thank you to the opportunity I, I have been given to move forward with a greater perspective. Um, and thank you to my dogs who are in the room right now and are being little baby angels. They've been so good. Uh, you may have heard them snoring a little bit, um, but other than that, uh, they've been very sweet boys, and that doesn't always happen. A lot of times when I go to record, the first thing that happens is Astro, one of our dogs, runs up, starts sniffing, and starts trying to get my attention because he hears me talking, and I mean, why would I talk to somebody if I'm not going to talk to him? So it takes a little while of like pre-recording, you know, rambling to get him comfortable, but uh, he's just snoozing now and being so sweet. So cool. Thank you so much to everyone who has kept listening and been been commenting and sending me messages. It means so much. I would love it if you could share this with people. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not that I need a million people to hear this, but if there's something here that you think speaks to you and you think might speak to somebody else, send them a link. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, and, you know, liking, commenting, rating, reviewing on iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff is really great. It, it helps me. Uh, you know, continue this and hopefully can get me in front of more people too and, and get this conversation rolling more. So thank you so much. This has been beautiful. Go out and have a lovely day or maybe you finish your day, maybe you're going to work, whatever you're doing. Uh, keep looking for that work to help you awaken. Om Hum Hanumate Namaha. Peace, homies. Peace.